when dealing with a very deep tech kind of problem, you want to read up basically on everything that you can on the fundamentals of what you're looking at. Welcome to the Business for Good podcast, a show where we spotlight companies making money by making the world a better place. I'm your host, Paul Shapiro, and if you share a passion for using commerce to solve many of the world's most pressing problems, then this is the show for you. Welcome, friends, to episode 48 of Business for Good. It was great to hear so much good feedback on the solopreneur episode we did with Colleen Patrick Goudreau last episode. And let me remind you that if you have good feedback to offer, please review this podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Those reviews really do make a big difference, even if just one sentence. So thanks to those of you who've already left a review and to those of you who haven't yet, well, thanks in advance. Now, on to this new episode. Think about how much metal you use in your life your phone, your canned drinks, your car. Well, for every ounce of metal in our lives, there are several ounces of often toxic sludge left behind from the extraction process at the mine. In other words, in a car, there might be a ton of aluminum. And to get that ton of aluminum, there's enough red mud, the industry term for waste products of mining, to fill a swimming pool, again, per each car. In fact, our metal mining produces such huge volumes of these so-called tailings ponds at mining sites that there's enough of it to cover all of California in a foot-deep pool of sludge. Sure, plastic straws may get all the attention, producing tens of thousands of tons of waste per year, but the mining industry produces tens of billions of tons of hazardous waste each year itself. Now, these days, if you follow the sustainable food world, you hear a lot about upcycling in the food industry. We've even featured keep companies on this podcast using agricultural byproducts to make new and valuable goods. So, two young students thought, why not do the same with tailings ponds at mining sites? After all, there's still a lot of titanium and aluminum and iron and silica, and more importantly, rare earth metals left behind in these ponds simply because they're quite difficult to extract. But difficulty hasn't stopped Nick Myers and Tomas Villalon from experimenting and finding a way to extract value from these ponds of mining waste. After successfully experimenting for months in their backyard with materials given to them by a refinery, Nick and Tomas went on to found their startup, Phoenix Tailings. They got accepted to the prestigious Techstars Accelerator. They won a quarter million dollar grant from the National Science Foundation. They filed for provisional patents on the process and they've now raised hundreds of thousands of dollars from investors. In short, they are ready to get to work. It's an inspiring tale showing how some innovative folks who see solutions where others see problems can really make a positive difference in the world. I think you'll be as impressed by Nick and Tomas as I am, so sit back and enjoy hearing the story of Phoenix Tailings as told by its co-founders. Nick and Tomas, welcome to the Business for Good podcast. Hey, Paul, how are you one of the hazards of having a two a uh, three person conversation you never know who's going to talk first but great to have you guys on i heard about you because i was listening to techcrunch's podcast equity and they were talking about this cool new startup that had just come out of techstars and raised uh, uh, several hundred thousand dollars and i was really interested in hearing what well, what are these guys doing and then they talked about mining waste and i was like mining waste what are they what does that even mean Phoenix tailing. So for people who have no idea, which was me before I'd heard of you guys, first of all, what are our tailings? Just hit us up with that basic fact first. Tomas, you want to take this? Yeah, I got this. So whenever metal is made, 
there's always a certain amount of byproducts that come as a result of it. So you mine this material out of the ground called ore, and this ore is then processed to make the metals. And in the course of doing that, you create generally a couple of byproducts, one of which is tailings. And tailings are nothing more than just rocks that don't meet the process requirements or they don't have something that's valuable for them. But just because there's something that this particular refiner doesn't want doesn't mean that it's still not value. There's still not something valuable inside of it. Mm. And so that's kind of the premise behind us looking at these tailings, that there's some value that's inherently in there that just people look over. So the tailings are the leftovers from the mining process, and then they get put into these things that are called tailings ponds. So Nick, what's up with these ponds? Yeah, these ponds are pretty uh, exciting. At least I, we, we think so. Basically, they're massive pools of usually liquid, which is oftentimes what, uh, what tailings are. They're in a slurry form, so they have a decent amount of water in them. And they pile up about 30 million to 100 million metric tons of sludge in these ponds. They, cover, they put on the sides of the ponds, they're called the tailing, wall, uh, tailing pond dams on the, on the walls of it. They have you know, a few hundred feet high of piled up concrete or rock to hold all of this in. Uh, and these are all over the world. Uh, you can imagine something that's enormous, so big that you can see it actually from Google Earth. Hmm. Um, and and sometimes they break, which is uh, incredibly bad. Uh, someone uh, there was a break that happened in Hungary uh, a while back that killed ten people, flooding into the city, uh, and did an incredible amount of damage. Another one happened in Brazil in 2019, killing 267 people, costing billions of dollars of fines, uh, destroying much of the local environment. Uh, poisoning water and shutting down the entire metals production for the country for a few months, which is pretty impactful. Wow. So basically, these tailings ponds are like toxic waste, right? I mean, these are the hazardous waste that is coming from the mining industry. Yeah. In some cases, it's really hazardous. In other cases, it's not nearly as bad. In many cases, it's uh, simply a type of sand with a different uh, with a different composition. Because what tailings truly are, to Tomas's point, is just all the leftover stuff that they didn't want. Mm. But most mining processes to really get to the full uh, value of the say gold they're looking for in the in the ore or in that original rock, they have to use very different types of chemicals. And if they're using a lot of these chemicals, they're throwing away a lot of it because they're not using it in a closed loop. They're not recycling it. They're just dump, they're uh, pulling out as fast as they can. Mm -hmm. And that means that the tailings used when they have a lot of chemicals in it are incredibly hazardous. So much so that in many cases, if you touch it, you'll actually chemically burn your hand. Wow. So, and, and there's a lot of this, right? Like I, I really didn't know much about this at all until uh, learning about the existence of your company, Phoenix Tailings. But uh, for every you know pound of aluminum, for example, that gets produced from mining, uh, how much uh, of this uh, tailings is created? There's actually between uh, two and four pounds of bauxite residue, which is specifically the byproduct with production of alumina, hmm. um, per a pound of aluminum, which is the final product. Interesting. So if if you are using aluminum, that for mm -hmm. every you know every ounce of it, there's you know maybe two or four ounces of the waste product from that mining that is being stored in one of these, uh, excuse me, in one of these uh, tailings ponds. Exactly. The way I like to think of it is a, you know, a 30 case of beer. Uh, during the production of those cans, 
will actually produce about a gallon of sludge. Hmm. Well, it's interesting you say that because, you know, we've, we've focused on upcycling of like agricultural byproducts before on this show. So for example, Outlander Materials, we had uh, their CEO on and she basically was taking beer brewery waste because there's a, a lots of, there's lots of spent grain that is wasted in the beer brewery process. And she was uh, subjecting it to a, a specific type of biotech fermentation that was creating or that is creating alternatives to plastic. And mm. so she, she could create biodegradable plastic alternatives uh, basically through that. And there's other companies like, I don't know if you guys have heard of Regrained, um, but they're a cool company that is taking spent beer brewery waste and making uh, like nutrition bars out of it and mm. finding finding other you know cool uses for what would have been considered agricultural waste products or byproducts and actually finding value in it. But you guys are finding value in these tailings ponds from the mining industry. So before we get to what it is that you're doing, tell me, how did you get the idea for this? Obviously, the mining industry knows that this exists, a big problem for them, mm. yet they're not mining it. Uh, so why did you think that you could? Yeah. Uh, so Tomas, do you want me to tell a story or should you? Yeah, go for it, man. Go for it. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so it actually started with one of my, one of our co-founders now, uh, his name's Mike Martin. Um, and Mike and I have been friends since high school. We always wanted to found a company together and we saw a lot of the challenges that were in the world. And he had specifically, he does, he's a material scientist, uh, similar to Tomas uh, myself. I'm a physicist originally. Um, we, and he saw a lot of the challenges with making a metal. And in fact, in one of his classes, just simply looking in the lecture, they saw this big picture of red mud. And he came to me afterwards and said, Nick, there's got to be something we can do with it. And we were thinking about it for a while because we started looking. Because in this byproduct, red mud or bauxite residue, which is specifically when you make aluminum, there's a lot of those valuable metals still within the tailings themselves. Things like iron, titanium, still some aluminum, and then many other valuable elements like rare earth elements, things that are used in electronics, stuff like that. But it's just not in a form that we can access. So, you know, it took a, it took a while to, uh, for us to get anywhere on it. We just kept talking about it here and there. And then I met Tomas actually about mm, probably four years ago at a Bible study we had together. And, you know, I talked to Tomas for a while um, I, and I got to know Tomas. He was a brilliant, brilliant scientist. And one of these days, you know, I casually mentioned, hey, Tomas, do you know, do you know anything about red mud? Tomas looks at me and he goes, Nick, do you know what my degree is in? I go, Tomas, you're way too smart for me. I have absolutely zero idea what your degree is in. <laughs> um, he goes, I've had an idea about this for so long because there's a lot of value in there we can access, but I haven't actually started trying anything with it. Do you want to do something? I immediately was like, absolutely. So I brought in Mike. Uh, Tomas brought in one of his uh, former colleagues, uh, Michelle Chow, who is one of our co-founders now. And we started doing work in Tomas's backyard, uh, specifically around this concept of uh, linking together different processes in a modular form to pull out all of the valuable materials. And literally in Tomas's backyard, we made our first proof of concept, which was pretty exciting at the time. How did uh, you do that? Like, did you have access to red mud? Did some mining company give you access to one of their tailing spawns to do this? <laughs> yeah, <it> took a, <laughs> that was the hardest possible thing we had with the whole company is convincing a mine to give us, and I won't disclose who specifically gave us the mud from the mine, but getting a formal agreement with a mine, or, uh, or in this case, it was a refinery, to give us actually some of these tailings. Um, they're really hazardous, right? So trusting anyone with this is pretty pretty tricky. And so uh, we had to build a very strong relationship for, with them to allow us to take tailings and do work with it in our backyard. Hmm. 
Wow. Okay. Well, hey, good for you for getting them to allow you to do it. And so, how long did it take? So, so you have now some unspecified amount of mining tailings from an unspecified company. It's in your backyard. Like, how long did it take you to figure out something to do with it? Tomas, how long was it? Two weeks. I mean, two we, I mean, I mean, I mean. So, so, so actually, to do it took two weeks, but planning it. I think we had spent two months prior going through every calculation, trying to get uh, the, the the hardest part was jerry rigging equipment because nothing nothing that exists that you can buy off a shelf is meant to handle this stuff. So you have to go through all your flow charts, check your chemical compatibilities, make sure that your thermal gradients are good, and then. Some of the equipment, unfortunately, uh, you have to buy day of. We had a cold trap, for uh, for instance, because we were worried about one of our processes going haywire. And so, you know, we could only run this for about two hours tops. And it was just a question of getting all the supplies at the right time, making sure that we had all the safety measures put in place, and then just trying to keep this thing within operating parameters. But yeah, two, it took two weeks to get the components and about two months of planning. So with, without disclosing any of your trade secrets here, like what is the process? Is it a fermentation process, a chemical process? Like how are you extracting these valuable metals from this red mud? That's a, that's a good question. So uh, the best way I can describe it is it's a mixture of several processes. And there's some chemical, there's some electrochemical, there's some reduction. There's, there's a lot of chemistry just as a whole. Um, but it's all about how you put these little units together. It's not a, it's not a one size fits all because uh, one thing about tailings that's interesting is that even within the same pond, you can have slightly different compositions or slightly different variations to the point where a chemical process that might work for the first bit of the pond might not work for the second half of the pond. Oh, I see. And so when you, Put all these things together, you're trying to keep track of your temperature, your chemicals being consumed, the products that you make, and just all in all, uh, you have these little different modules, and if one suddenly doesn't start working properly or, or it starts operating inefficiently, well, you have two options. Can I make it work efficiently, or do I have to swap it out for something else? And so... It might be that one chemical process all of a sudden doesn't work. We'll hot swap that module out, put a new one in, check its efficiency, but still keep it just in case the composition goes back. Hmm. Okay. Uh, well, I know, I feel like I know very slightly more about how you're doing it now than I did one minute ago. Uh, but <laughs> I, I, is there a patentable process here for you, or is this going to be with trade secrets? Yeah. So, if I may, there's a few different parts to it. Because we approach it, think of it shipping crate containers at scale as how it'll be, each step along the process in an individual shipping crate container. There are patented aspects of it, specifically our electrolysis, which is uh, by what that means, what that is essentially putting electricity through one type of shipping crate container and allowing that to pull out the specific metal. Those types is that's where we hold our patents. Uh, and that's what we allow, uh, we, we protect uh, legally. However, on the trade secret side, that's what we do. We focus on that with our hydrometallurgy or our solvent metallurgy, where it's a specific type of chemistries that we're putting together in the right form in the right fashion. Because that's not something you could take apart and understand exactly what is made. 
Um, and that's how we protect ourselves in a lot of ways. You could have one piece out of the system, but you still wouldn't be able to make the whole thing work because you only have one other piece of the pie. So to be clear, you already hold patents on some of these processes? We have provisionals around the uh, electrolysis cell. Got it. Okay. Oh, cool. So tell me, guys, uh, like if you're thinking about what when they're mining the ore, what percentage of the value are they getting? And then what percentage is left over in that tailings pond? Mm. It depends so much on the ore source. Keep in mind, okay. each ore source is so different. Uh, if you're looking at gold, uh, gold ore versus iron ore, all are very, very different uh, materials. However, I will say that oftentimes a mine is throwing away more than 80% of the value. That means they can get more than four or five times the amount of value out of an ore than they're currently getting. And if it, it, so pres presuming this is true, that they're only extracting 20% of the value of, mm -hmm. of what they're getting, and 80% is left over. And yet you guys, in just a couple months, figured out how to extract the remainder of that 80%, or at least some large portion of it. Why aren't they doing this already? Like, Why didn't anybody in the mining industry think, hey, there's 80% of the value left over. Why don't we try to figure out some way to go get it? Mm -hmm. That's a really, really great question, Paul. And at the end of the day, it's because it's hard. We're using a lot of new innovative processes that other folks haven't looked at. Tomas is one of the top people in the world, not to speak for yourself, Tomas, uh, <laughs> top people in the world on this type of technology. And we're combining a lot of different science that you would never see in one specific spot. And doing that in a, uh, in a efficient manner is the key. And when I say we can get 80% of the value out, we can in many, many cases but it's about specifically looking at the right way to get that value out. And that's what our team is built to do. We're still early, don't get me wrong. I, I never try to oversell. I think that we're, we're, we've done incredible things, but we have a long way to go until we're fully able to access the entire value. But we've proven the first parts of it to be able to access that. So what do you guys do after you are done uh, mining one of these ponds? Like what is left over in your process? Come on. Yeah, so the big thing that'll be left over primarily is uh, sand, beach sand, basically, silica. Uh, there'll probably be a couple of other things in there, but we would have gotten a lot of it out. And then hypothetically afterwards, well, you've got this giant pit, you've now refilled it in with sand, but uh, considering that it was holding this caustic or this chemical-based uh, chemical tailings prior to that, you have to remediate it. And so thinking a little bit more long-term, uh, we're looking at potentially some bioremediation to kind of help uh, restore the land to what it was more or less prior to the tailings pond being put in place. And then also just ensuring that there's nothing there that can actually pollute that area any further mm -hmm. compared to what it was prior. And, and Tomas, when you're talking about what it was prior, so these tailings ponds are, de are designed to be encased in these dams, but how long are they going to be there? I mean, you know, we did an episode on uh, storage of nuclear waste not that long ago mm -hmm. with a, a really fascinating uh, startup led by Liz Mower called Deep Isolation. Mm -hmm. And she yeah. points out that nuclear waste is basically, no matter what, it's going to be hazardous for hundreds of thousands of years. Are, I, I presume that these tailing ponds are nowhere near that hazardous, but how long are these dams supposed to last and what is going to be done with, I presume, the thousands of these dams that are around the world? So 
It depends on what the ore source is. Uh, that will determine how dangerous it is. Uh, and in some cases, uh, so my family's from Mexico, and uh, one of the issues with the tailing ponds in that part of the world is that there's a lot of arsenic in them. Uh, it's just the ore that the material comes with. Uh, so those actually are quite hazardous. Um, and then others have, others are, like Nick mentioned earlier, they're almost benign. They're just uh, sand pits, if you will, slag pits. Um, so the hazard does vary, but as a general rule of thumb, they're there indefinitely. Hmm. There is no termination point for these facilities, primarily because uh, what are you going to do with it? You can't do anything with it as far as the economics of it are concerned is, as we acknowledge it today. And that's something we're looking to change. Mm. And so the idea basically would be that you guys are creating a business in which you can be co-located on mm -hmm. a mining facility and then get access to the red mud as they're producing it? Or is it to go to ponds that are already closed up and then open them up and start mining them? Both in many ways. Uh, we start off as our go-to-market is working with the uh, with the fresh, as we call it, fresh tailings from the red mud site, um, simply because that's oftentimes what the alumina refineries uh, care about in that case. But we're building our technology to be able to adaptable to both fresh and legacy tailings. Um, once we get to scale, we're hoping to access and essentially remine many of these tailing sites that are left abandoned in the world today uh, and doing our part to clean it up while making a positive financial return. Wow. All right. Well, let's talk about those positive financial returns. So how much money have you guys raised to date? I know you did a pre-seed round and I think you're in the midst of your seed round right now as we are recording this in June of 2020. But tell me, uh, where are you guys at on the fundraising? Yeah, happy to. So we raised about, uh, when we, what we got accepted into Techstars Boston, which we were very excited about uh, in January. And during that time frame, we raised about 385K. Prior to that, we had some grants. We had a you know $100,000 roughly uh, of grant funding and non-dilutive capital into the business. We also just won the NSF SBIR Phase 1 award for 225K, which we're very excited about. Congratulations. And, and for those who don't know, SBIR is Small Business Innovation Research. And so tell, tell folks, what, what is the NSF SBIR that you won for a quarter million dollars of non-dilutive equity? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's with the National Science Foundation. Tomas actually is the PI on this. Tomas, do you want to un, uh, unpack a little bit of what we're doing? Yeah, yeah. So uh, basically, in, in the course of developing this technology, we're looking at new and novel ways to try and extract the values of it. And so this SBIR focused specifically around novel chemical ways to remove iron from these tailings in such a way that we meet certain efficiency requirements, certain purity requirements. And furthermore, just developing the, a benchmark that we can use to compare any other technologies that we develop. That's great. So you've got some non-dilutive grants, both from the federal government, or are there any private sources of grants that you guys have sought? Well, we got, actually, we won the New Wolf Venture Competition from the University of Connecticut, which we were very excited about, because the Connecticut ecosystem has been very helpful for us. Mm -hmm. uh, $20,000 helped us build our first, what we call, iron nanopowders, uh, which we're very excited about that. And we do have several customers, which uh, essentially, in uh, the way I look at it, is it's non-dilutive financing at this stage. It's nothing crazy <laughs> in the profitability, but it helps finance our development of our technology.
Who are these customers? Are the mines paying you for this, or like who's paying you for this? Or you're just selling product the the uh, the metals that you're harvesting? We do sell some metals, but very small form, uh, small amounts of that right now, and only the very very high value products that we create. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do work with the mines, and they actually help finance us to build our technology to a further state, so that we can eventually process the entirety of their tailings. And so we're working with several customers right now in that regard. And are any of these mining companies taking an active interest in the company? Like, have they invested also? Nope. Uh, we specifically uh, move away from that, generally speaking, uh, just because that can cause challenges with the mining ecosystem. We want to be neutral. Ultimately, at the end of the day, our mission is to tackle the entirety of mining tailings across the board, not be stuck uh, focusing on just platinum or just gold or just coal, hmm. but be able to process all of the valuable materials. So that's why we, we focus on doing... Uh, joint development agreements, joint ventures, and things like that with these mines, but we avoid taking uh, direct financial uh, equity interest. Hmm. And have you considered, instead of actually being the one to process those uh, tailings ponds, to just license your technology to the owners of those mines so that they can do it without you? Yeah, absolutely. And in some cases, that will be exactly what we do. Uh, for the first few pilots that we were running, uh, we're pursuing a joint venture. Um, a, a joint venture business model, where essentially they have an equity, or they have ownership in that specific mine itself of processing that technology, uh, processing those tailings, and pulling out the valuable metals. Uh, in exchange, they provide a lot of capital on the upfront build out of the capex. That's really what we're going at right now, just because those are the mines that we've talked to. That's been very, a very big interest to them to focus on. But we do listen to the market. We want to understand exactly what the best business model is at scale, and if. Licensing is the best way to go for it. We're absolutely there for it. Okay. So I, I cut you off when you were talking, Nick, about your fundraising. So you guys raised 385000 k from your pre-seed round after Techstars, and you're in the midst of a seed round. So uh, what are you trying to raise in this seed round right now? $1.2 million. Okay. Um, and what's the use of funds? What will you do with that $1.2 million once you raise it? Yeah. So primarily, we need to hire on a few folks. Uh, we need to expand our bandwidth. I think Tomas and the rest of the tech team are uh, getting a little tired there in the lab these days. Uh, we've got a fair bit of interest, which is exciting, but you know, we, it kills our time. But at the end of the day, what our goal is with that uh, $1.2 million is to be able to sign an agreement and move on site to build a our first pilot unit with a mine. Hmm. Um, cool. And that's yeah, on site processing and tailings. How many folks are working at the company right now? Six as of last week. We're very excited. Just hired up with tech. Congratulations. So you guys got half a dozen people on less than four hundred thousand dollars. So I would imagine uh, that raising this seed round is of uh, is of a high importance for you, considering your runway needs right now. Uh, yeah, fairly. Uh, keep in mind that you know we're we're a scrappy team. Uh, the four founders and Anthony Balladon, who's our one of our founding team. Uh, he's definitely one of the family. We uh, none of us took a salary until last month or so. Got it. So we've been doing it for a while now, which is pretty great. Yeah. Um, but uh, plus, our customer revenue helps us grow uh, pretty well there. But mm. um, yeah, moving forward, you know, the seed round is is uh, pivotal for us. We're very excited about it, um, and it'll help uh, skyrocket the company. That's great. What type of revenue are you guys projecting for 2020? Ooh, it's still up in the air on how we'll go about it, but we're hoping to be in the 200k, 300k range. That's the that's the the target. We'll see where it goes after that. Um, there's potential that we can be in the million dollar range, but I never like to, to promise that ahead of time. 
<laughs> yeah, uh, I, I always love in, in uh, spreadsheets where you can control the percentage of things that will, that will come true. So you can see like, this is, this is what it would look like if we got every deal we're trying to get. And if we get only 20% of them, you can see that. And it's a sobering, uh, it's a sobering change on the spreadsheet for sure. Um, so, uh, Tomas, let me ask you, like, you know, you guys have come a long way in less than two years since you co-founded this company. And of course, you still have a very long way to go. But I'd imagine that you've learned a thing or two in this time period of running your own company. So if there's other people who are looking at Phoenix Tailings, thinking that what you guys are doing is really cool and maybe they want to start their own company, maybe upcycling some other waste product or uh, engage in some type of commerce that's going to help make the world a better place. Are there any resources that you think have been helpful for you guys that you would recommend to other people uh, if they're thinking about taking that step into an entrepreneurial journey also? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll break it down into kind of three categories to answer this question. The first is uh, just the people you surround yourself with. Uh, find a mentor. And uh, I've had the great fortune of having several mentors uh, over the course of the past couple of years who've kind of been able to give me advice or give me perspective on certain questions. Uh, the second thing is uh, when dealing with a very deep tech kind of problem, you want to read up basically on everything that you can on the fundamentals of what you're looking at. Uh, so, you know, in my case, uh, J.J. Moore, uh, Barton Faulkner, just, just the, the classic books that you can read about the technical stuff. And then the last thing I always uh, I found actually quite insightful was uh, uh, I'm, I'm into philosophy and how you approach a problem, not just how you solve a problem, but how you approach it itself. And so for me, uh, Lao Dao to see uh, the Book of Five Rings, um, just some good text to try to give you a different perspective on the problem and to have you understand on how your solution will impact those who are involved in the problem. Okay. Well, we'll include uh, notes to those authors and, and books in the show notes for sure for folks who want to check them out because I can assure you, you are naming authors, Tomasu, I have never heard of and I look forward to learning more about them. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So finally, guys, uh, you know, you are uh, trying to solve this problem about waste and hazardous materials in the mining industry. But I'm sure that as folks who have been in the entrepreneurial world for some time now, that you've thought about other business ideas that could also solve certain social problems, whether this or related or even unrelated topics. Are there any company ideas that you think that are promising that you're not engaging in, but you hope somebody, maybe somebody who's listening, will take up on their own? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the biggest ones I've been thinking about is paper pulp waste. Things like the organic waste from industrial processes to create um, basic products. It's not something that we at Phoenix can tackle. We've looked at it a little bit, but we just it's not really within our scope. But I would love to see someone find a solution to the amount of paper pulp that's uh, being thrown out. Uh, things like that and those type of industries. I know there's another, like textiles manufacturing also has a bunch, but those type of materials would love to see a way for us to use more of that and be more efficient with how you produce that. 
Yeah, there is a lot of paper pulp waste and you figure there must be something. There's a lot of nutrients in there. I mean, there's got to be yeah. something that, that can be done with it. So hopefully there's uh, some interesting um, person or persons out there who might have an idea for what to do with it all. So hopefully they'll listen and maybe they will be on a future episode of Business for Good talking about their awesome business, making something valuable with paper pulp uh, waste. We'll see. Um, well, awesome, guys. I think it's really cool what you're doing and I really appreciate that that you are trying to tackle a problem that that uh, so few people are even thinking about, let alone doing anything about. So my hat's off to you, and I look forward to watching the progress of Phoenix Tailings as you guys continue to grow your company and get on site at more and more mining facilities. Thank you so much, right. Paul. Appreciate it. It was a pleasure. Great. All right. Well, thanks, Nick. Thanks, Tomas. I look forward to talking with you again. Wonderful. Have a good day. Take care. Thanks for listening. We hope you found use in this episode. If so, don't keep it to yourself. Please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. And as always, we hope you will be in the business of doing good.